All right, good morning. It's a very good morning. The Lord is here. God's people are here. What else could we want, right? Listen. Listen. Take care how you listen. That's the name of the uh, the message today. Are you ready now? I want you to listen. You're the engineer of a train. There are 36 people on board. At the first stop, 10 get off, 2 get on. At the next stop, no one gets off, 5 get on. At the third stop, 4 get off and 2 get on. Now, here's my question. I've got a question for you. What's the name of the engineer? George. Okay, look. Casey. Does anybody have it? Dennis. It's not Dennis. No. No. <laughs> Good guesses. Ah, uh, you're making. We're making the point here. See, we're not listening. Do you remember the first phrase I said? Don't feel bad because nobody got it. You're the engineer of the train. There are 36... (laughs) Nobody ever gets that, okay? But I said, listen. But here's the thing. I think this little story here kind of uh, shows that we often hear a lot of things, but we don't listen to everything. And believe me, there's a lot of things going on, you know, and of course our mind can get turned out. What husband or wife, especially, uh, I guess you could say, uh, especially the husband is known for saying, uh-huh, 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 but his mind is somewhere else while he's trying to listen, but at the same time, there's something over here, uh-huh. And it's unfortunately usually the husband, the guy, anyway. Um, one husband actually dropped his newspaper one time back in the days when they had newspapers, right, Bob? Yeah. <laughs> I think they still kind of do, but... Anyway, he dropped his newspaper, looked directly into his wife's eyes, gave her full attention, and while she was speaking, and all of a sudden, you know what she said? Stop it! You're deliberately listening just to confuse me. <laughs> Just as we often fail to carefully listen to other people, we sometimes and often fail to listen to who? The Lord. And uh, God speaks clearly. He makes it very clear to understand. And in our text today, it says, take care how you listen. So we'll hear that word a lot today, hearing and listening and really what is really listening to God and such. There's an exhortation here in the message today in our Scripture of Jesus exhorting you and me. He was exhorting the disciples. And you know what? It's right on the heels of the parable of the sower, or we called it the soils, right? The seed is the Word of God. The soils, the heart. That's what we talked about last week. And it's coming right after that. And you'll say, well, what does this have to do with that other parable? Well, it has everything to do with it. And, and we'll see. Um, the ones who have that seed are the ones who have heard the Word. They hold to it fast and they bear fruit in persevering. And so as we look in our chapter 8, verse 16 to 21 today, it's a story about the lamp and then also the words of Jesus to His mother and brothers. And then you'll say, well, what does that have to do with it? And it has everything to do with it as they all connect. Uh, that parable of the sower will go right into this parable of this uh, lamp. Uh, now, how do we listen to the Word? How do you know if someone is really listening to you? Let's say you're planning a meal and, and having people over. And you say, okay, to uh, another person there, can you go get... T-bone steaks, the mushrooms, and the tomatoes. And while you're in the vegetable section, they're having a um, actually a real good sale. I think it's two for one for broccoli. And uh, get some golden delicious apples and and some bananas. 
uh, oh, by the way, get some Michigan apples. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, when they come home to bring what you had said, they bring a Red Baron pizza and potato chips and a Coke. And so I have to ask, were they listening? <laughs> I think probably not. Um, might be texting from the grocery store. What was it that I was supposed to get? You know, they weren't listening. So how do we hear the Word of God? Do we really hear the Word of God? Did you know that God has something that He wants every one of us to know today? Because we're in a particular word. Wherever another church is at and they're preaching the word, He wants the people to know that. And wherever somebody else is at, He wants them to know that. As we happen to be in this text, He wants us to know something important. From It's from Him. It's all His Word, isn't it? How do we respond to that Word that He gives us? Do we just uh, kind of take it neutrally? Do we listen politely? Or do we really have a response that we want to do what the Word says? And of course, that is definitely hitting on the area where we're, where we're going at. Jesus is talking about that in this passage here. To listen to listen with care to the Word of God because that's what this is here in, in His Bible. And it's eternally important to all of us. Let's uh, grab our Bibles. Let's turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be in 16 through 21. Let's stand and uh, let's read that precious text. Now, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So, take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. And his mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, My my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Let's pray. Father, your word is magnificent. Your word is for us. Give us understanding. Give us illumination on this text so that it will go to our hearts and be put into action in our lives. We call upon You and Your Word and Your Spirit to make us strong in Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So we start off. The first one, the truth of Jesus is illuminating. It illuminates us. makes things come to life, to come to light. So it's in 16. It says, Now no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container, puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. This is a parable. It's a parable that actually is repeated in the Gospels by Jesus. He says it in different ways at different times. I will tell you, this is an axiom. It's an axiomatic truth. You say, what's an axiom? Is that what you use to cut trees down? (laughs) An axiom is an evident truth. An axiom is, yeah, duh. You know, you hear something and everybody knows it, right? There is nothing to debate on this. You You have a lamp and when you light it, you have light so that people can see. If you happen to be in a dark room, You have a light on, people can see. That's really an analogy that Jesus uses. Everybody can understand. The youngest of these little kids that are going, uh, that are in the room and such, as they, uh, some of them hear the word of God. You know what? They understand that. It's an axiom. So let's turn to Matthew 5:15 and let's look where else Jesus might have said something like this. 
We really don't have to explain it too hard, do we? But we want to listen carefully, right? 5.15 Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all those who are in the house. There Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And here he's giving uh, uh, you know parables, similitudes here, really. And he's you know he talks about the lamp and a lampstand. This time he says basket. This was at a different occasion. So Jesus used this quite often. You see, Jesus is the light. The Word of God is the light, isn't it? And so uh, that's how he gets these truths that people would understand to be able to understand further what these spiritual truths are, are about. Look in Luke 11.33 No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar, nor under a basket, but on the lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. Another occasion. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Same kind of axiomatic truth, but he's he's talking about here. He says you don't put it in a cellar, okay, under, or under a basket. Same kind of truth. Easy to understand. Jesus gives us the lamp is to give light. You light it that you see that others may see, right? As he says, give just a little bit of background here on this. Um, we live in a world that's lit by energy. Do we ever have power and energy? And uh, we have light uh, 24-7 if we so desire. If you paid your electric bill. Um, But it's the flip of a switch. No matter whether it's dark or light out there, if you want more light, you need light, you just turn that on. They lived in a world that was um, not known for having artificial light. Either the sun was out or it wasn't. You were dark or you were in light very purpose of the light that they had was to give light to the room so that people can see. Uh, it was a small clay pitcher and that pitcher would have like a spout and it would be filled with oil and a wick. Something very simple. Made of terracotta. We have terracotta today. Matter of fact, you might have seen one of these kind of oil lamps that they had back then. Um, they were made uh, it really like jars of clay. And, of course, that's what they would do. And it was, it was functionable. It was a function, not just for, hey, that's really cool looking. It's nice to have as an antique and put up on my shelf. They'd actually put it on shelves to be able to have uh, visibility in the room. Or they'd put it on a table. Or as Jesus said here, they'd have actually a lampstand that they would put that on. He wouldn't put it on a floor because it wouldn't be able to broadcast as good as what a a stand would be. So that's kind of the background behind it. That's not going too deep, but that just kind of helps what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, The lamp was uh, used not to be hidden. Uh, We could stop right there and go home. That's really the idea. But there's plenty of things here that I think God uh, gives us. Um, God has given us the Bible, hasn't He? He has given us the light. The light to walk the path. Thy word is a light unto my path. Right? As we think of that out of the Psalms, or it's actually also a song that used to be sung in the 70's, I believe. But it's to shed light on how we should live so that we don't grope around wandering and wandering in the darkness. It is the Word of God that gives us the truth of how to live. Isn't that amazing? And that we have. Without God's Word, what's happening is that people are wandering They're wandering around in the dark. They're wandering in a very dangerous world, wondering what's going to happen next. They have no illumination. So what happens is they wander around in the dark. They fall. They trip. They fall into open holes of 
drug use and sexual immorality and anger and bitterness and self-centeredness and greed and lust and all those other sins that every one of us know very well. We all have our own sins, don't we? We battle that. But we must live in the light of God's Word ourselves. Then, by our example and our words that are concentrated on God's words will help others see God's way. That is kind of the idea that's building up here. So the purpose is not to hide the Word, is it? It's not to conceal it, but it actually is to reveal God's Word. And so that's the idea. He says, don't put a container on it. If you want light, here in in Luke 8, as uh, we had read that verse, um, he says, you don't put a container over it. You don't put some kind of a vessel over it as you light it and do that. Then all of a sudden you got the dark room again. Right? Or put it under a bed. Now, they didn't have the beds that we have where you have uh, you know, a frame and a mattress and there's room underneath. It's not talking about that. The, the beds that they actually had were like maybe uh, almost like blankets covers that you would lie on and you had nothing underneath and it meant just putting it out putting out the fire of course if you put a light a lamp underneath your bed what are you going to have you wind up having a fire right but uh, so that's the idea there as he tells that he he, he says the the light is to be revealed it's to, to be shared out there so it's a message to be proclaimed There's a watching world out there. And they're looking at us. They don't understand it. And they could say all sorts of things and do all sorts of things. But there's a watching world. They're watching Christians. They're watching the church. Watching the church of Christ. And we have something here that is to be proclaimed to all the nations. By the way, the truth is heard for all of you who are Christians you heard it somewhere at some time. And the truth came to you and it delivered you out of that darkness, didn't it? Out of the kingdom of darkness. So there's um, truth there. And truth always finds a way to be revealed. That light does. Uh, but that same light that reveals truth, it also exposes sin. Have you ever noticed that in your own life? You read the Word of God and all of a sudden it exposes your own sin. If you're really reading to get truth, you will get that. If you hear it preached, the same thing happens. So the uh, light there has a twofold function. Well, why wouldn't everyone want God's light to illumine their hearts? Well, Jesus has an explanation for that. Go to John chapter 3. Of course, everybody is familiar with John 3 and talking about, you know, he, he loved the world, right? In that same context of him loving the world, he continues on to reveal what salvation is about. And he actually says in verse 19 and 20. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. That's the light. That's Jesus, right? And men loved the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So the one who does not believe in Christ and does not want to, does not want the light on because he knows exactly what that light is saying and he loves his sin. He loves his evil. He loves his darkness. He's not going to call it sin. 
for those very same people usually don't even use the word sin because they don't even think sin exists. But that is the problem of every man, woman, and child. The Bible tells that everyone is in sin from the very moment they're born. As they're conceived, as David said, in their mother's womb, there is the sin nature. All have it. The only way it can be taken is that the light of the world come into that dark heart and give life. Of course, that's what Jesus is doing as He uh, approaches the people, as the people approach Him, as we see all the way through Luke. Everywhere He goes, there's just crowds everywhere, right? And this is what He's preaching about what salvation is. He keeps saying it in different ways. So many different ways. All throughout the Gospel. There's so much there. And we've been looking at Luke here, this Gospel of Luke for like a year. As we continue on, we've only just begun, haven't we? We see Jesus revealing Himself. Exposing man's sin so that they would see their need of sin and then come to the light as Jesus draws in. So when the when the Word of God just thunders against sin, and so it does, it exposes it. Think like this. God means my sin. His Word thunders against my sin. I still sin. I'm a believer, but I still have a problem with this sin. I have a new nature, but God intends me to hear this, to listen to His Word, and take that Scripture and turn it into something that makes a difference, makes an impact in my life. So, people can put off Scripture themselves, but uh, we live in a time where it is written to us. It, for 2,000 years, has been written to all people so that they would profit to bring it home to themselves. And that's what we want the Word of God to do, to speak to us. God is speaking. It's right here. It's amazing. We've got it in front of us. You know, a medicine will do no good if we have it in front of us. And if we need that medicine because of our sickness, and it's right there, but we don't apply it. We don't open it up and take it, right? We must apply it, as Donald Whitney of Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life mentioned. Now, we also know that this light is dealing with spreading. Spreading this light. There's light that comes into our own lives, but we also want to spread it. Jesus has already said, I'm speaking in parables so that they will understand. So that you will understand. But you know what? He was also saying, as He spoke in parables, so the Pharisees, the legalists, the religious elite wouldn't hear. Now isn't that odd? We've, we've, saw, we've seen that actually in a parable earlier. Um, where He talks about the, uh, the seed... And actually, in um, if we looked in verse nine, his questions began question, or his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. Right? What, what's this parable mean? And he said, "To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. To you, speaking to disciples, he's speaking to the twelve apostles, the rest of the learners, the disciples, the one who are really wanting to know the truth." Then he says, but to the rest, it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now that's a mouthful. That's an earful, isn't it? He'd say, wait, these parables were meant to understand. And yes, they are. And they're meant to be seen and understood in the light. But yet, to the ones who didn't want it, they are not going to understand. And so he speaks in parables. 
That's just like Jesus. He says something that sounds so axiomatic, so easy to understand. At the same time, you go, whoa, this is really deep. He speaks to His people so that they understand, but to others He hides the words, of, or really of the meaning of the words, even though He says it, they think they get it, but they're not. Now that quote was actually out of Isaiah. That quote is mentioned quite often through the New Testament. Paul will use that in his doctrinal preaching and teaching and his writing. So, but what Jesus is saying is there's a judicial act on the part of the Son of God to render judgment on those who are obstinate, who are rebellious against the Word of God. Disciples might be thinking here, okay, huh, then really what we're supposed to do with what He's talking about is to hide it so they won't understand it. Now they could be, I I don't know, but that could be the case. And that's why after He has already said that in a previous verses that was just before this member, when you take things into context, you read it in context of where you've been, also where you're going. You look at what has been said and in the light of other passages, right? Then you can interpret that passage correctly. Just to read a section of verses, you might be taking it out of the context. Say it means this, and it's that's not what God is saying there. And so, but we look at the context, we see what Jesus has said. You know what? He's never telling us to conceal truth. He is the judge. We don't have to worry about concealing it. Sometimes we already have that trouble anyway. We, you know, sometimes it's it's really hard to say something that we would like to say, but we're trying to find the door to get in. And you know, sometimes we just don't take the opportunity or don't get the opportunity. But we're not to put the light out. That's the whole idea of this parable. He says, "Keep that light going. Let the light shine." It's not for you to put the light. Out. Only I can make the determination of who are the ones that are going to listen and the ones that really don't want it. That Jesus is the only one, right? He is that judge. So you take the gospel, you take it out, and you let the light shine. Matthew 5.14, we were just there a little bit earlier, Sermon on the Mount. And it's, again, very clear like our one in Luke. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Wait a minute, I thought Jesus was the light of the world. But if Jesus Christ lives in us, guess where the light is at? He ascended to the heavens. Guess what He did? He left the light here to be in the church. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. If you're really mine, if you're really having the true light, you're not hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp, put it under a basket, put on the lampstand. It gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Ah, that they would see Christ in action. And that would draw some to glorify God. That's really what it is. We're the light. We don't conceal it. We don't hide it. We just let it shine. It's there. Let them see your good works. That would be the idea here. Uh, Matthew 10.27 Jesus says this to His disciples, What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. Sometimes it was just Him and the disciples. And He says, I'm going to tell you something. And I don't want it to get out to those religious elite, the Pharisees, the hypocrites. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Now granted, Jesus didn't do things in a corner, in a dark corner, where nobody knew what He was doing. He did it for all to see. People were coming out. But there were certain things that He hid. Precious truths that He actually hid from the ones who denied him. And so but what he's telling what I'm what I hide, 
I want you to reveal. Tell it all. Shout it out from the housetops. I may be telling you this in secret, but you proclaim it. What they hear, they are to proclaim. They have the light, they don't conceal it. Peter wrote this. Look in 1 Peter 2.9. Right out of the Old Testament, actually. See, what we do is we look at other passages that support what we have just stated. Peter was an apostle. Peter was there when Jesus preached these sermons, the Sermon on the Mount and all those other sermons about light. Peter writes about it. Uh, 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him. Stop there for a moment. You're chosen. You know, this is right out of Exodus. Peter's quoting that. We're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that we would proclaim God's excellencies. The divine, majestic excellencies is what the church does. Amazing. That He would allow us to talk about Him. The King of the universe. And no matter how little we may know, we know one thing, He's a God who saves. And so Peter kept on going Him, who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. If you have nothing else you can say, you can say this, He brought me out of darkness into the light. His light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Chosen. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You guys know what it feels like to receive mercy, don't you? Anybody who trusts in Christ knows that they needed mercy because they were such a sinner before a holy, awesome God. They needed His mercy. He gave it to us. person of Christ. It's the Gospel, isn't it? Did you know that was really Paul's great commission? When he was stopped in his tracks by the Lord, Paul wasn't looking for Christ. Matter of fact, he was doing the opposite. He was persecuting all the people who believed in Christ, who were proclaiming truth. And he was out to get them, to persecute them, to have them killed, stoned to death. But according to his own testimony, when Christ called him, Peter wasn't looking. He was blinded. And he knew that this is the Lord. It was now revealed. Paul sees, knows the Lord as he heard His truth. And his eyes did become open later. And he would take this truth and proclaim it to open the eyes they would turn from darkness to light. Physically and spiritually it happened to him. He was to go out spiritually and turn that light on so that they would get forgiveness of sins. You'd find that in Acts 26 verse 18. He had a passion for proclamation. Why? Because that's why God saved him. To proclaim what happened to him. And who this Christ is, how He forgives sins. Now we move on. We go back to Luke 8. You know, it's amazing what the time change does. I look up at the clock and because it's been turned back, we keep gaining more time. It's only 10.30 right now. You know how much time that gives me? Actually, the clock got stopped. And it hasn't been working for about a week. It has no light. <laughs> it has no life. It has no light, does it? No battery in there. Anyway, you just have to trust me. What time it is. <laughs> Let's go to verse 17. Luke 8, 
Verse 16 we just explained, right? Lighting a lamp, covering a container, bed, lampstand, so those who came come in may see the light. Verse 17 says, For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. What does that mean? Well, you can't hide it. If you have the truth of God that comes into you, you cannot hide it. What it is, it's talking about what's on the inside. Not necessarily the outside. Although the outside is what people are going to see. But there's something that happens to us that's on the inside. There's There's a difference between how people conduct themselves on the outside and then what's going on in the heart, right? It's a, it's a heart matter. And not only are we to be marked out as ones who have had the light come in and we are to shine that light, but that the, the light of God is going to shine on our hearts to reveal our condition. Sometimes we have to see God's truth and see that our walk is not matching up with His truth. His truth is what continues to change us, that sanctifies us. And we know that the Word of God is active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, right? It convicts us of our sin as we looked at. You know what? There's a judging that's happening there. Even though our sins have been bought and paid for, the work has been finished as far as God is concerned. But as we walk through life, He still is rooting out sin in us, isn't He? He sanctifies us, sets us apart more and more. He wants to reveal things in us that are not right, not righteous. Are we the real thing? We want to ask. Am I real? Am I genuine? Um, Are these truths that we're hearing that God wrote, these are the truths, are they the most important things to you. The Word of God shall live forever. Everything else shall pass away. But is the Word of God most precious to you? How far do we exalt this Word? To as high as we possibly can, and then some. The Word of God. Uh, Is it the real treasure? Is Christ your real treasure? Is the Word of God your treasure? Does the truth just thrill your heart? You know, you think about the Word, oh, I can't wait to get to it. I, I, I can't right now, but boy, you know what? I can't wait to get into reading. Does it excite your soul? You know, this is meant to wake us up. This is something that we should be proud of that we have in the right sense of being prideful, uh, boasting in God, right? Does it excite your soul? When a light is lit in a room, it's not going to be hidden The very purpose of that light is to what? Give light to the room so the person sees that so other people can see it. And that's what the Word of God does that produces itself in in our lives. We are to give light through our lives. God's truth is put in us so that can happen. We are a testimony to the truth. Sometimes you don't have to even use the words It's how you live. The things that you do, the things you don't do. That people can see where they don't have problems. I thought he was a Christian, but he does these things that would not be seen uh, around Christ. It confuses people. And what we want to do is to be bearing testimony to the very truth of God. Let's turn to Matthew 10.26. Oh, what the Word of God does, doesn't it? We are, are we listening? Oh, we need to be saying that all the way through this message today. Are we listening? Right. Let's listen to God's word right here. Let's listen to Jesus speak. There do, therefore, do not fear them, the ones who are against Christ, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. That means. Anything that's in our heart, God 
exposes to us. He reveals it to us. And by the way, it does it now and ultimately in the judgment, the future judgment. If you're of Christ, you have nothing to fear as far as sin being judged because where was it judged at? At the cross. But at the same time, we have a life to live to show who we are and God reveals that to them. But He also is consistently showing us by His Word where we need to be corrected and trained up in righteousness. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. The Word of God. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose or reveal the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. He is the ultimate judge, isn't he? He is the judge. He will show what's really in the heart. He will break it down. If there's something there that shows that there is praise, then it will be shown. And anyway, I think that's rather revealing. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24 and 25. These are just passages to help us interpret what's found in our text, Luke. Text of Luke 8. This is 1 Timothy 5, 24 and 25. The sins of some men are quite evident going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident. They're brought out in the light. And those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. They too will be seen. And so that's the idea. You you can't hide the truth, right? Another thing about the truth is that we're not to be hypocrites. And of course, Jesus is talking about those people. That's what He did hide from them. Uh, He would speak it, but they wouldn't hear it. They couldn't hear it. They didn't want to hear it. As it was written in John 3, as we saw. Uh, Luke 8. How do we do this? If you have the good seed in the soil, what does that mean? It will become 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It'll just go on. It will be good. It does matter, doesn't it? How we listen. And so it becomes quite clear. We don't want to be hypocrites. We want it to be truth here. Let's go to number three here. Listen carefully, for there is judgment. And we've kind of been speaking on this. As he says in verse 18, so take care how you listen. And there's our title today, isn't it? For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. Wow. We come to the main point of our passage. Let's ask ourselves, am I listening? Let's listen carefully. That would be a good title, wouldn't it? The problem is not a matter of the truth being heard. Right? Everybody hears some kind of voice going out and hears this, you know, off and on, right? But what is the problem? It's not hearing, but it's listening. As the hearing goes to the heart. Take care how you listen. That's that's the very word of Jesus, right? Um, Okay, this parable has a direct connection to the previous parable because they both relate in how we hear or actually listen. Let's go back to the previous parable in chapter 8, verse 8. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a a crop of hundred times as great. He said these things he would call out. He who has what? Ears to hear, let him hear. 
Ah, it's going more than just hearing. It's really listening, isn't it? Verse 10. Look at this. Look how much it just keeps popping up up here. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. What is the word there? Hearing again. Verse 12. Those beside the road are those who have heard. They were the seed at the roadside. Do those come out to be believers? No. They, but did they hear the Word? Yeah. Did it take root? No. Verse 13. Those on the rocky soil are those who when they hear, receive the Word with joy. They have no firm root. So what, what did they have in common? They heard. This one actually had a little bit of root, but it wasn't deep enough. So we go to verse 14. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Did they hear? These are four different soils. Did they all hear? Yeah. Every one of these are representing hearts. The seed, which is the Word of God, they actually hear, but the soils or the hearts weren't prepared. It didn't really take root after all. Verse 15, But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the Word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Those are believers. Only one soil is where we see believers. They all heard, but one heard and listened and produced. And so in verse 18, we see the same thing. We just read that. And we look at verse 21, our last verse. But He answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the Word of God and do it. Do you see how all of this is related to all the above and all those after as we look in our text today. Here, listen. He said, I've heard this a thousand times. I can just turn this off this time. But And I think that's why Jesus kept speaking it in different ways, in different forms. Because a lot of those disciples were with Him sermon after sermon. A lot of times they'd hear basically the same thing, only He would put it in a different manner. Different parables, different stories told out so that they would listen up. They would really get it. If you have a good seed in the good soil, you're going to have grace upon grace upon grace dittos. Did you know that you are going to have more and more? In John 10.10, He says, I give you life that you can have it abundantly. Has anybody ever heard of the abundant life? No kidding. It gets more and more. He's given us everything we need to live, right? A life of godliness. Everything we need. But we realize how much He's been giving us. What a blessing it is as you grow in Christ to see that grace upon grace. It's according to His power working in us to do exceedingly abundantly. Matthew 13.12 The abundant life. Giving us more and more and more. 13.12 says, For whoever has to him more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him. Like the Pharisees, they thought they had everything. They thought they had it all. And they had no truth, really. Even though they had the Bible, they explained the Bible. But it really wasn't in their heart. And so he took away the kingdom that they thought they had. That's kind of the idea about taking that away. Matthew twenty-five, twenty-nine. Jesus said it so many different ways. For everyone who has shall more be given, and he will have an abundance. 
But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. This is uh, at the time just before his crucifixion. Very close to that time. So he said these things quite often, didn't he? So how do you get more and more? Well, we read the Word of God and we meditate on it. You can take even those who attend church regularly all throughout the world who are part of the church. So many of them are just ignorant of what the Bible says. Ignorant meaning they, they don't know. And they really have no excuse because they do have the Word of God. They have the Bibles. What we do is we read it and we chew on it. We meditate. We chew. We think on it. What is it that I just read now? Not to just cover a lot of volume, but to go back over it and say, okay, what does this mean? And then you say, okay, how does this work in my life? What is God saying here? After you get the meaning of that text, then you say, how does this apply? Because that's where it really has to go, doesn't it? Just knowing about God and knowing about the Bible, will that get you into heaven? Mm -mm. You have to know God. To know God is to say, well, how else do I? can I know Him more? This is it right here. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have church here. But your own listening to His Word throughout the week is so important. And the second one is that we look for Christ in the Word. As we read it, we look for Christ. Everywhere you're at, it's pushing forth to Christ. You should be seeing the person of Christ in that area somehow. The two men on the Emmaus Road, beginning with Moses, with all the prophets, Luke 24-27, Jesus explained to them the things concerning Himself in all the Scriptures. The Old Testament, He just started explaining. Okay, this right here, this is me. Here, right here. This, this prophet, what Isaiah is talking about, that's me. Or the kingdom. It's pertaining to that kind of thing. And that's what it was about. They would draw closer to Christ. And so thirdly, it's seek to apply that word. Whoever does not have, right? He's talking about the religious ones who have all sorts of works. They seem to have it but it's going to be taken away from them because they're banking really on their own understanding and their own works. And there's judgment. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see in Matthew 25, 29, and 30. Now we come to the last part here, number four. It's about careful listening. It means obedient listening. And so we turn back to our Luke passage. And actually, when I was reading and studying this, it's like, I want to cover some more verses on this, but I'm not so sure 19 through uh, 21 really pertains to what we just talked about. And you'll find out many of uh, our favorite people like uh, uh, MacArthur, he will put these texts together or uh, maybe an Alistair Begg, or go on and on, some of my favorite people, found out, uh, found out that they put this text in there too, and I'm going, huh, that's interesting. And we come to find out that this text is perfect to come to the culmination of what we just talked about. Although it doesn't look like it at first. His mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. I think we just caught it, the very last sentence. Careful listening means obedient listening. As we come to this paragraph, we understand that we've talked about a parable of a sower. We talked about the parable of the lamp. And now we talked about the family of Jesus, physical family, that arrive on... Uh, this scene at this time. And you would think they would bring, uh, be bringing special privileges. Or maybe special privileges are for them because Jesus is of their family. 
And you would think that the brothers who grew up with Jesus would really have all this down, right? I mean, these guys would really have it, right? They grew up with Him. They lived with Him. They knew how perfect He actually was. I think that was a problem for them. If you had a brother who was always perfect, and your mother might say, why can't you be more like Jesus? Well, after a couple of times of that, you've about had it, right? Uh, sometimes there's a correlation, I think, between being close and distortion. People who grow up in religious homes often have a harder time coming to know Christ because they're too close to the subject. They never really come face to face with their need, the real need of how they can get their sins forgiven. And we all probably have known many who grew up in a right kind of home where they took them to church and taught them the Word of God, but yet they deny the spiritual truth and turn their backs on Christ but So it's not an automatic just because somebody grows up in a religious home or a Christian home for that matter. It doesn't mean that everybody is going to be a Christian in that family. I'd like to say that. I really would, trust me. But to drive home the point, Jesus contrasts a biological family versus His real family, the family of God ultimately. That is what is most important over your biological family. That sounds hard, but that's what Jesus is saying here. Everywhere Jesus went, there was a massive crowd. So big of a crowd around that people can't even see that if you're like ten rows deep, you're standing on your tippy toes or... If you're a little kid, maybe Dad has you lifted up, you know, and you can kind of look in there and see Jesus. I mean, this crowd is just, just tremendous. And we ask here, why did Jesus' family come? If we go back to Mark 3, 20 and 21, we'll see. We're coming up to the end of this message here. And this sums up all the truth of where we have been. In Mark 3, 20 and 21, And He came home, and the crowd gathered again. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) To such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. It's just constant. So many people around. Staying there for hours and hours and hours. And when His own people heard of this, and this would be, his family. They went out to take custody of him. For they were saying, He has lost his senses. He's a madman. This is crazy. They were saying that he's possessed by Beelzebub. He cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. So we went on to explain what that meant. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. It's kind of interesting that they come to him. He's lost his senses and it's like they're saying, hey, you know, you're getting carried away with this whole deal. You know, they're thinking that, you know, this thing has made you almost like mad. This is, this is crazy. It's out of control. This is nuts. You know, the religious leaders are infuriated. And they're even saying that you do what you do by the power of Beelzebub and Satan. And so he's, some of his family's believing what the religious leader is saying about him. They're thinking that he's putting himself in a terrible position. They're thinking, man, you're going to lose your life. Somebody's going to kill you. Well, that's true. (laughs) Hostility is mounting, but it's only in God's timing, isn't it? Did Mary believe in Jesus? Absolutely. You look at the very outset, and we don't have time now, but in Luke 1, the Mary's Magnificat, and she says that Jesus is her Savior. She knew she was a sinner. That's right. Mary sinned. She was not sinless. If she's sinless, she's gone. That's a lie, isn't it? 
What else do we see here? He had brothers. He had brothers? Yeah, he had brothers. We could go to other texts, but we, 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 we see right here just in our Luke passage that it, uh, it says that his mother and brothers came to him. This is talking about his family. They're, they're even named in other texts. His brothers, his sisters. That means she was not a virgin after, I mean, she gave birth to Jesus, but they said she was a perpetual virgin, but she was not. She had children. That's just coming from the Bible. Not a tradition, but from the Bible. This right here ought to tell you, huh, boy, that kind of teaching is absolutely unbiblical. It does not go along with truth. And that's what truth does. It comes in and roots out error, doesn't it? So I think that's fascinating as we hear that. That's all right there. And you can say, okay, what's the deal? His brothers, they would have known. Why didn't, why didn't they know the truth then? And, and Mary, well, she's there. She's wondering what's kind of going on. She's trying to put all this together, you know, and, and she's been putting into her thoughts. But here, here they are. And it's a point where he has a, a great chance now to say, you know, it's key to a relationship as far as relating to Jesus Christ, it's not by birth or some kind of natural privileges or to be a Jew, to be born into a certain family. But what is it? Obedience to the Word of God. That's really what he's doing as he sums these parables up. That's why Luke puts this right where he does. This could have been done chronologically at some other time. But Luke puts it right here. And we go, bingo, that's why that's there. Mary and, and, and his brothers, uh, he's setting priorities here. Allegiance to God's Word must be first. It's even more important than your physical family. Jesus puts that right straight out, doesn't He? Um, obedience. He who has My commandments, right? And observes them. In Luke 11.28, Matthew 7.24, um, He who has My commandments keeps them. Is He who loves Me, He who loves Me shall be loved by My Father and I will love Him and will disclose Myself to Him. Um, John 14.21 if you want Jesus to show Himself to you, you hear the Word of God with a view to obedience. I'm going to do what He says. Regardless of what the world has always taught me, I'm going to Him. And that's, there's a world of difference between Jesus and the world. There is a huge difference, isn't there? He drew the line. He calls such ones his mother and his brothers in the sense that if you trust in me, you're related to me. You're in my family. Do we realize what happens every time the Word of God is read? Every time we read it. Do we realize what the Word of God does when it's proclaimed? Do we realize that something happens in this place right here to our hearts? Do you believe that Jesus is working in you right now and will continue to work if you're trusting in Him? What will happen on Judgment Day, right? Do you realize that the Word of God is powerful? It's effective. That it always works. It's working. It will continue to work. One of two things the Word of God does to the ones who hear it. Those two things always happen the Word of God is preached. Either it will bring people to Christ and they will be saved and it will edify the saints. It will build them up. Or it will bring on things pertaining to final judgment that keep mounting. If you've heard it once and heard it twice, even that much more judgment will be brought forth to those ears that heard but it didn't take an effect. But to the believers, we are built up and we recognize this truth. Let's pray. Lord, we want to listen to You. You are the one that we listen to. 
Listening means hearing your word and being joyful about it, realizing that it is absolute truth, and knowing that it changes our lives. It means desiring to obey you, confess before you that you're a holy God and you want us to be like Christ. Lord, thank you for judging those sins at the cross so that we can be trusted, or that, that we can trust in you, that you are the one to be trusted. Thank you for this truth today. It's precious. May this light not just be covered over this morning, but as we walk out of here, that it's being proclaimed in our hearts, and we can't help but proclaim it in the way that we live and in the way that we speak what we say to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have...